and Shelby, if you'd like, you're welcome to stand up and sing along with us.
You guys go to have a seat. Welcome to Kensington Shelby. My name is Josh Jackson. I'm the worship arts director here. And if you don't know, I've actually, uh, this, uh, we moved uh, about a little over a year ago. So this is my first Michigan winter. And if, you know, it's real funny that they actually are bringing the winter in this building as well, in this room, to remind me of how cold it is and that I don't live in Las Vegas anymore. So we're sorry about that. Hopefully uh, that will, hopefully it'll warm up by the, the middle of service. But you might want to keep your coat on. Um, I know I'm keeping my jacket on. So welcome again. We want to take a second and just celebrate what happened last week. Anyone know what last week was? Easter! Raise your hand if you were at one of our Easter services. Yes, it was unbelievable. I had so much fun. I got to wear a top hat. We had dancers flying from the ceiling. And um, honestly, one of my favorite parts was just singing worship and and singing Jesus' name with you guys. Uh, To celebrate, we actually had, for the first time in Shelby's existence, we had more people come to our services than we had tickets uh, get downloaded, which is awesome. And that means that you guys invited your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers and it was packed most of the services it was so cool and we had palm sunday and good friday that were kind of clumped into a three-week series about easter it was amazing and on easter we actually had uh, an opportunity in a moment where people could make decisions uh for the first time to follow Jesus. And we had multiple people actually come up uh, to Kristen and some other people on staff saying that they did just that, that this Easter was the day that they started their journey with Jesus. And so that is worth celebrating. And uh, we just wanted to take a moment. Yeah, we can. That's pretty awesome. Um, And so looking ahead, though, uh, as much as it is fun to look back, especially to Easter, uh, next week, uh, April 15th on Sunday, is our Baptism Sunday week. And so if you were one of those people that made those decisions, this is for you. If you've never been baptized, this is for you. But to talk more about uh, baptisms, we actually have, uh, speaking today, we have Danny Cox from our Troy campus. I'm really excited. And he actually, we have him on video as well uh, to kind of talk about his baptism story. So check it out. In 2000, I had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, so much so that I came home from that Easter service, looked at my wife, and I said, the man that left today is not the man that stands in front of you. And it began this journey with Jesus. In fact, it was about a three or four year journey. And friends of mine used to say, hey, you you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. But I felt like God was saying, no, wait, wait for your wife. And in 2004, my wife came to me and said, hey, you know that baptism thing? I want to do that with you. And we got baptized that summer. It was a beautiful ceremony out in Stony Creek. When we were coming home, my wife said to me, you know what? When we were coming out of the water, I felt like God gave me a vision. Now, if you know my wife, Amy, that's not how she speaks at all. And I said, oh, tell me what this vision is. And she said, you know when you're on a roller coaster and you get, you're in the seat and all of a sudden you start going up that hill, chink, 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 and you start moving up that hill to go to the crest of the hill. She goes, that's the vision I had. And then I felt like God said to me, buckle up. You're about to go on the ride of your life. And that statement was one of the most true statements we had ever heard. Over the last 14 years, Amy and I have been on the ride of our life with Christ. 
And Kensington is holding their baptism service on April 14th and 15th. And if you're that person that feels like God is tugging you to him, then we're inviting you to be baptized. There's nothing magical in the water. But as you go down into the water, it washes your old self away. And as you come up, it's symbolic of God making you into a new creation. It's your public declaration of an inward reality. So come be with us. Come get baptized. And I know that you're going to have to buckle up and get ready for the ride of your life. Come join us. So like Danny said, if that is you, if you feel that little churning in your stomach, I personally believe that that's the Lord telling you to go ahead and take this step to publicly publicly proclaim that you're a follower of Jesus. And so you can sign up online still, kensingtonchurch.org slash baptisms or baptism. Uh, and, uh, and if you have already been baptized, you don't want to miss next week. It's always one of my favorite uh, services. We actually put the baptismal right here on stage, a huge tub. We have a bunch of music kind of going in and out as we watch people uh, declare them uh, their, their faith, and it's really amazing. And then looking ahead again, the weekend after that, April 20th and 21st, we have a conference at the Troy uh, campus called the Move Out Conference. So uh, you can go online to find information, but we actually have Mike from our central team uh, on video to kind of tell you a little bit more about what that conference is. So check it out. So if you're at all like me, maybe you like coming down to Detroit's Eastern Market to grab some farm fresh food, hang out with some friends, check out the local art scene, and just soak up the culture of the city. But what if we were able to see a place like this as more than just a fun spot to hang? What if we actually saw this as the church? There's a good chance if you're watching this right now that there's a place just like this in your own life where God's already working and he's calling you to join him. It could be at where you work. It could be in your local school. It could be at your kids' sporting events. It could be anywhere. Dude, this is really good, man. Thank you. So on April 20th and 21st, we're hosting the Move Out Conference at the Troy campus. This conference has got one idea in mind, to connect you to God's calling on your life. We want to help you develop a plan and see you move out in action, becoming the church, loving and serving the people that God has placed all around you. Coming here from author, speaker, and pastor of New Song Church in California, Dave Gibbons. What would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? The CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, Craig Mays. If there's a child that is homeless, you don't bring them in so that you can get them into heaven. You bring them in because they shouldn't be homeless. Pastor of Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, Matt Reynolds. We want to be a part of the kingdom that is building a culture that honors God and one another. Or are we just going to be a part of our own little kingdom, building our own little life? And founder of Kensington Church, Steve Andrews. People that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, new ideas, new ministries that that are going to change the way people live. We believe that you are the church, and it's time for us to move out. To register, hit up kensingtonchurch.org slash move out. Man, I know personally, I'm really, really excited for this conference. I know that is a a big harpy to mine, and I imagine that you guys know people that it's going to be hard to get them to come to church on Sunday or Wednesday, and you 
are called to actually go to where they are. And that's what this conference is going to be about. It's going to be about equipping you to, to meet your friends and your family and your coworkers where they're at and bring the church to them, bring the love of Jesus to them. If they're not willing or if they don't, maybe they're not interested in coming here and, and hearing about Jesus. So I know I'm really excited about it. It's, it's a big passion of mine uh, to reach the people of our communities that we're living, living in. And so definitely go online. You do have to register for this event. All the information is online. KinsingtonChurch.org slash move out. All right. Before we uh, continue in our services, why don't you go ahead and stand up, shake someone's hand, maybe give them a hug if they're really cold um, and just uh, say good morning.
I really wanted to stand over there as those questions came across the screen. You know, because it's amazing. Like, we had fun in the beginning, and, and then all of a sudden it takes a little bit of a turn. And then I, it's so moving to me when I look out and just see and feel some of the storms we're in. Here's what we want to know today, and this is where we're walking. There's one thing that ties us together as human beings. We all deal with storms in our life. Can't get away from them. It's part of being human. And so we're in this series called Riding the Storm. We're just, we're just starting it. And today we're going to dive into that. And I think this song that R.J. Ledison is beautiful. It's saying, take heart. Let God lead. Don't lose hope. And have courage. And that's what I'm really praying, that God is going to lead us in this morning. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we could gather freely here. Thank you for this unique group of people that you've brought here. It's not by chance they're here. And I pray, Lord, in particular for the person or persons that are really in the center of a storm, and in particular those that have lost hope, that may be in despair. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you speak powerfully to our community today. It says in your scripture, you are the hope of glory, that there's no despair in you. Father, would you reveal that to us today? Would you have us take heart with you? Would you instill courage in this community, individually and collectively? And would you give us a new vision? Even if we're in storms, would you give us a new vision for our life today? We know you can do that, and we pray in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I am super excited to be with you today. I heard that the 11 a.m. crowd is super rowdy. I knew it because you're Michigan State fans, right? Revealed that. But I am so grateful to be with you. Usually I'm at the Troy campus. I've been part of Kensington for 18 years, and I've been on staff for 15 of those years. And 18 years ago, last weekend, was my anniversary of meeting Jesus again. And when I met Jesus 18 years ago, I came into the church at Troy Campus, Kensington Church, in a storm. I walked in there and I was in a storm. Now, if you know any of my story at all, some of you may know, but I struggled for years and years with depression and anxiety. Probably from my earliest memories, probably three, four years old, honestly, I had this depression and anxiety in my life. By the time I walked through that door, I was about 33 years old, 32 and man, I'll tell you something. I was in a storm and something happened that day. I met somebody that day in the middle of my storm that started to point me to another direction. There was a person named Jesus. And so today I'm really praying that we capture a vision for what it could look like to walk through this life because we're not going to get out of the storms. It's not going to happen. But we can have courage in the storms. We can take heart in the storms. We can have vision in the storms. And I'm really praying that happens today. And you know what's amazing? In Scripture, which by the way, I have to say something. Like, put that aside. Does anyone really have a flip phone? Like, let me see you. Let me see your hands that have a flip phone. You guys are my heroes. Like, are there really lights on a flip phone? There is? Look at you. Amazing. Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon. So... Here's what's amazing about storms of life. In scripture, there are such honest moments that Jesus talks to his, to his followers. And the most honest scripture is Jesus speaking right to the storms of our life. It's John 16, It's one of my favorite scriptures. And this is why I love scripture. Because God speaks and says, this is reality. Here's what he says. He says, 
in this world, you will have trouble. Now, Jesus is talking to his closest followers, and he's just about to leave them. And he knows he's going to leave them, and he wants them to know the truth. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if you are with loved ones, and you only have a little time left with them, and you have to leave them, you're not going to talk about small talk. You're not going to talk about the weather. You're going to tell them essential things they need to know. And Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, I want to tell you a truth about your life. In this world, you will have trouble. I want you to hear that today. Is this a fact? In this warrior term. And then he says this, but take heart. Take heart. Have courage. Why? Because I have overcome the world. It's one of those hopeful scriptures in all of scripture. It's like, you're going to have trouble, but guess what? Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. I love it. Steve Andrews, who's our lead pastor, and he's our you know, leader of our home movement. He says, you're either in a storm coming out of a storm or heading into one. And it's not fatalistic. He's not saying that as, as someone that, that, that is negative. He's saying, he's saying, this is our reality. And so what does that mean? And so as, as I started thinking about storms, I asked God, what would be a storm? You know, I've been in many, like you've been in many actual storms, you know. And it's like, what, what storm do you want me to remember? And he took me back to when I was an early teen. And my father used to take me on some fishing trips. And my dad, just the two of us this time. And we went to Houghton Lake. How many of you have been to Houghton Lake? Yeah, you know it. And I think there's a river there called the Muskegon River. Am I right? You guys don't know. And so, so I go. So he take us down the Muskegon River. We were fishing. And we were, we were doing really well. And our backs were kind of towards the lake. We were down the river. We are fishing. We are catching stuff. We're, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, my dad's like, yes, looks like it's getting a little dicey out here. Let's turn around. And we go back up the river. We get to the mouth where it enters into the lake. And I'm not kidding. It's like God just shut the lights off. It went so dark. It got so intense. The wind was so powerful. And we're in this little aluminum boat with this little motor. We're going against the wind. We're barely moving. Rain is hitting us. We can't see anything. And lightning starts going. We look around. There's not a soul on this place. Later on, my dad said, what was I thinking? I'm the worst dad in the world. You know, we could have got killed out there. I started thinking about that image in my men. Why? Because sometimes in our life, we have our back to life. We're distracted. We don't even see the storm coming. And we turn around, it's upon us. Sometimes the storm in our life are things that we have done to create the storm. Maybe we've had bad decisions in our life. We all have that. Sometimes the storms come to us through other people, meaning people have done things to us. And the storms come upon us. Sometimes they just happen, but we all are in storms in our life. And so this series, we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at it through the lens of a writer named Luke. Luke wrote one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third one. He also wrote the book of Acts. Now, just as a side note, Luke was a, a physician. He was a very well-educated man. He wrote very detailed. And so what a lot of people will say is when you read the Gospel of Luke, the Gospels are these accounts of Jesus' life when he walked on earth. When you read the Gospel of Luke, at the end of Luke, you should jump to Acts. Because it's like a part two of Luke. It's the extended version. It's the uncut version. And he ends Luke, the gospel, when Jesus ascends to heaven. And then he begins Acts in that same kind of moment. And so you can tie those together. It's beautiful. And we're going to look at the person of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was an enemy of the people that followed Jesus. And there was a radical transformation in his life. 
radical. He was going on a road to actually persecute the people that were following Jesus. He had imprisoned them. He had killed them. He had tortured them. He was on his way to do it again. And he had an experience with the living Christ. Much like I had an experience 18 years ago. Much like people in this room have had experience with Christ. And something changed. In three days, his whole life took a 180. And he started not preaching of the Roman power and the rule. He started preaching against that and preaching of the gospel and preaching of Jesus. It's a powerful transformation, and we're going to look at that. Now, here's a side note. In Scripture, there's about 500 leaders that we can recognize. Out of those 500 leaders, there's about 100 leaders that we have enough information of how they led. Out of those 100, we have 49 leaders that we can see how they led over a lifetime. And out of those 49, only 14 leaders ever led well to the end of their life. It's really interesting. What does that mean? It means this. It's about 28%. And that number actually relates to leaders today. If you were to take a toll and say, how have you led throughout your whole life? Many times at the end of a life, leaders tank out. Only about 28% of leaders ever finish well. And so we call Paul one of the elite 14. Because Paul is one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. When he came to Jesus, he led all the way to the end, even giving his life for his belief in Jesus. And the transformative power that he experienced with Christ. So he's one of the elite 14 leaders. So we're going to look through his lens in the book of Acts. And I'm going to give you three ideas. And we're going to look through a story where I'm going to read it as a narrative, as a story. And you're going to follow along in that kind of sense. I'm going to give you three thoughts. In our storms, God has a plan. In our storm, God has his presence. And in our storm, God has a purpose. So let's start with the first one. In our storms, God has a plan. Part of my graduate degree program, I had to do a 10-week course on something where you looked over the course of your whole life. And you did something called a timeline. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. But you go back and you spent 10 weeks looking over your life and you go through each decade. Now, I just turned 50. So I had a lot more to do than the people that were in their 20s. I was one of the older ones. But you'd go through each decade of your life. Zero to 10 and then it's your teens and 20s. And you would ask God, would you show me these kind of moments that have been pivotal moments in my life. It could be something really beautiful. It could be something really hard. It could be a birth of a child. It could be an end of a marriage. It could be anything in between. And so you mark those. And over that course of that time, what starts to happen is you look back over your life and you start to see how God has worked in it, how he's shaped us. And so this is a cool thing that we get to do today. Because we have the scripture, we already know what has happened with Paul. And so I'm going to give you a couple of the backstory, and then we're going to go into how Paul is in a storm in his life and look at his life and how God met him in that. So Paul is arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. And he's rousing up this crowd. And then he tells, he says, listen, wait a minute, I want to tell my testimony to us. Now he's in shackles, he's arrested, and he tells his testimony. He said, I used to be an enemy, and now I preach the gospel. And it just causes chaos. And the religious leaders of this time, they arrest him. They don't know what to do with him. And they put him in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a ruling council. Some of the same people that put Jesus to death, as we talked about on Good Friday. And here's Paul standing in front of the same people. But he said, and he's just preaching about the resurrection and the truth of it. Some historians believe that that transformation of Paul that's been documented by believing and non-believing artists is one of the proofs of the resurrection. 
And so here he is preaching. They don't know what to do with him. They send him away. And in Acts, he writes this. The following night, still in shackles, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. Listen, I want to tell anyone in a storm today, you're going to hear this over and over. Take courage. Take courage. So God comes and he says, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, meaning as you stood up to the Sanhedrin and you testified to me, so you are also going to testify in Rome. So now Paul has a plan. He sees something that God has for him. So Paul goes in front of all these leaders and they want to release him. But he keeps saying, he appeals. He says, I want to go to Rome and in front of Caesar, I want to tell my testimony. He writes in Acts 26, just before where we're going to be, he says, this man could have been set free. This is one of the kings. Paul could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So now Paul is on a journey. Now he's heading out and they're taking him in shackles and he's literally going to have a life-threatening storm in his life in the storm that he's already in as he's being transported to Rome to make this appeal. He was shackled along with other prisoners and soldiers, and Luke, who was the physician and his friend, was there with him documenting this story. And so I want to show you a map, because sometimes when we talk about this stuff, you, you forget. The Bible is rooted in history. There's actual places that they write about that are very much in history and places in the world today. So check this map out. It's great. You can bring it up. But they, I want to show you just the beginning. So our Jerusalem over here is where they started. And it went up through there down to the bottom half of Asia. When they reached the Myra Lycia, which is modern day Turkey, they switched ships. And they turned to a big grain ship. And they put Paul on that. And their whole goal is to hit Rome. They cross over to Crete. It's a small island. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. They're about a third way through their trip. And they're right there near this place called Fair Havens, the kind of southern part of Crete. And it's late September, it's early October, and it's dangerous time to sail. And Paul tried to warn the soldiers. This is what I love about Paul. If you read anything about Paul, he just seems like he knows everything. He's in shackles, he's there, and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know, hey, do you mind? It's not a good time to sail. So he's saying to everyone, of course they don't listen to him. And this is where we pick up in Acts 27. But the centurion, who was an officer in the Roman army, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than he did to Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. So here we are. They started to move out, even though Paul said it's not the right time. And now they have this gentle wind blowing, and they're thinking, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We're the experts here. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. They did that because the waves were so intense it could just crush it. Then, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, which are sandbanks off the northern part of Africa, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. The storm is in control now. 
Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to genocide in the cargo. They started to lighten the load. On the third day, they throw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a time in your life where you thought all hope is lost? Have you ever been there? I see people going, yeah. I've been there. Where you're like, this storm, I don't see a way out. All hope is lost. Now they thought they were going to take this gentle wind right into Rome. And out of nowhere, this hurricane shows up. And all hope is lost. Now remember... It says that everyone lost their hope. You're talking about the Apostle Paul and the physician Luke, followers of Jesus that believe that go against all these rulers, these intense followers of Jesus. But Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. And in that moment, he lost hope. And so did Luke. That's how intense this storm was. Have you ever been there? I've been there. When you get a diagnosis that isn't what you expected, and you've lost a job, when you were relying on that, you've been served papers when you thought for sure that your marriage was intact, when you've faced addiction or loss or any of that, those moments were heavy where you're just like, I don't have it. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm losing hope. And even a hero of the Christian faith like Paul had a moment where he gave up. He resigned himself that all hope was lost. It is hard to hold on to hope when we are getting hit by waves. If you're in that, I understand. It's hard. But there's one principle about leadership and something we're going to learn here with the Apostle Paul. There's a phrase that said, leadership is response. Leadership is response. Meaning in the good times of our life, it's, it's easy to lead. I'm like, I'm doing great. I can go through this. It's when life hits us. And in that moment, when life hits us, when it presses down on us, we start to realize who we are. When pressure comes in, I always say it's like a sponge. You don't really know it's in a sponge, and then when you push it, all of a sudden you see what's inside of it. That's how life is. When life presses down on you, you start to see who you are. And it's an important principle. You know, my father always had a unique way of teaching. And sometimes it wasn't until years later, in my 20s or 30s, that I realized my father were giving me these lessons. And one of the lessons I'll never forget, I remember going to my dad. We had a, a girl in our high school years ago who became pregnant. And she decided to keep the baby and carry it to term. And so she'd walk through the halls. And every day you'd see her being pregnant. And there's a lot of rumors in our school. And it was something we had never seen before in our school. And there was a moment where the rumor mill kind of went around and said that in this moment, her father had turned his back on her and abandoned her. And I remember going to my father and I remember saying to my dad, hey, this is what I heard. And he sat me down. I'll never forget this. He sat me down. He said, son, let me tell you something. He goes, when times are easy in your family and with your kids, it's easy to be a dad. He said, in fact, I'll say this. It's probably not even really being a dad in those moments. He said, you become a father when your kids become in crisis. When they need you and it's crisis and the world is pressing down, that's when you become a father. He said, this moment, this man has relinquished his father. This was his moment. Leadership is response. And it's hard. 
It's hard to lead well in those moments. But God has a plan in our storms to prepare us and to build us. We're not going to be perfect in the storms, but God has that, and he's going to build it in us as we start to learn how to respond in these moments. Years ago, uh, Amy, my wife Amy is here, and uh, so we, we, we bought a home in 2000. Was it 2000? And uh, three years later, our home started to sink. Everything that was on a 42-inch footer just started falling into the earth. Our whole perimeter of our house, our front porch, our garage, our family room, our little, little sunroom off the back, it all just started falling into the ground. Our doors wouldn't close. They wouldn't lock. You know, the windows wouldn't close. You know, my wife was really happy. And uh, so we just moved in there, and this place is like, you know, falling apart. Huge cracks in the ceiling. Everything's making sounds at night. It was scary, right? And we were so frustrated. And so that's happening, and we're losing everything. Then we go to the insurance company, and the insurance company goes, yeah, we don't cover that. Like, it's in the fine print, right? Come on. And so they didn't cover anything. It's probably going to cost us forty to $50,000 to fix our home. We had no money. And at the time, uh, we started an adoption of three girls from Honduras, through our three daughters. And it, that was intense, and nothing was working out. We're walking through our houses sinking, and our adoption isn't working, and there's all this tension, and everything is just building up. And I'll never forget, I was home one day. My son Daniel was in the front room. I'm in the kitchen. I come around. Now, we had a cat. We had two cats, actually, when we first met. One was Bly, named after Robert Bly, who's a poet. The other one was Ayn Rand. I called her Ayn. Ayn Rand was a, if you know anything, she's a, a writer, Atlas Shrugged, uh, you know, a number of different books. But she was an atheist. So we had an atheist cat. I named her after that. Now, when I was in my 20s, I followed that, that thought of that line of thinking. For about two or three years, I was an atheist. And I, and I studied objectivism, which is Ayn Rand's thing. So I called my cat that. So here I have this atheist cat. All this stuff's happening. My home is falling. Everything's going on. I'm really tense. I walk into this room. And my son's sitting there. And this cat, my, my Ayn's there, and she's looking at me. And I go, hey, Ayn, what, what's up? And then she looks at me. She didn't talk back. And then she, she looked at me. And I realized what she was doing. She's peeing on the carpet. Now, I lose my mind. I yell. She runs. She runs up. I start chasing her through the whole house, screaming at the top of my lungs. My boy's watching this. Ah, I got here. And I, I go up the stairs like on all fours. I finally get the cat. I grab the cat. I start talking to the cat. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Do you realize what you're doing to me? I come all the way down the stairs yelling at the cat. I get there, open up the door. I throw the cat outside. I close the door. I go in. I start getting cleaning supplies. I come into the other room. I get down on my hands and knees and I'm talking out loud. I can't believe this. I can't believe what's happening. I can't. She's, my house is falling in. And this adoption thing isn't working. We can't get anywhere. And I'm, t- and I'm talking out loud. And I'm cleaning. And all of a sudden, my eight-year-old boy says, hey, Dad. I go, what? Cleaning. Oh, I can't believe all this stuff. Hey, Dad. The, the, the adoption. You and Mom thought that God called you to adopt those kids, right? I was like, yes. Cleaning. Dad, what? Okay, let me get this right. If you're, if God called you to do something and you're doing it, that means that it's his work, not yours, right? Yes. You know? And then he says so mature. He's like, you know what I think, Dad? You don't have to worry about any of these things. God's in control of this stuff. He has it. Why are you taking this on? It's not your thing to take on. And I did what every great parent does in that moment. I looked down and I go, shut up and go to your room. Right? No, I didn't do that. So, in that moment, 
the presence of God was felt so deeply. And here it is. My son, my seven or eight-year-old son is watching me. He's watching me in a moment of crisis where we have a lot of tension in our home. We're losing everything. We're losing the things that we put our security in, our home, and our ability to take care of things. It's all falling out around us. And at that moment, I'm losing my mind. I mean, I was really losing my mind. It was, it was a lot worse than I thought. And my son is watching me. And whether or not he knew it, God spoke clearly through him to me. I'll never forget that moment. Those profound moments in my life. God speaking through a seven-year-old boy. Now, here's what I want you to think. On this boat with the Apostle Paul, who was there? Who was there with him? And Luke. There were soldiers. There were other prisoners. There were high officials. Centurion and Roman guards. There were all of these people from all different regions around the whole world. Right there in this little boat. And they're all in the same crisis. And they're all watching each other. And here are Paul and Luke in the midst of all of them. The only followers of Christ on the boat I would take. This is a new way. Representing Christ in the midst of all this. And then in this moment, God becomes present. Second point. God has a presence in our storms. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood among them and said, now listen, remember, Paul was hopeless. Not long before this. He stood up and he said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail for Crete and incurred all this injury and loss. I love Paul. He's like, hey, just so you know, uh, I told you so. You know, I, I, I don't think I would like the Apostle Paul if I was around him. I really don't. But, but there's more to it. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart. I'm telling you, everyone in this room, if you're in a storm, hear me. This is your message today that God is speaking to you. Take heart. Have courage. Take heart. He says, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, now why can he say this? For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And this angel said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. And by the way, if you look throughout scripture, there is an unbelievable thread of God saying to his children, don't be afraid. Hundreds of times in scripture, do not be afraid, fear not. The angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, reminding him of what God spoke to him before. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And so Paul says again, so take heart. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So Paul's saying, take heart. I know what's going to happen. God's already spoken to me. Now, many times in the last 18 years that I've fallen Christ, you know what happens? People come to me and they say, angels don't appear. God doesn't speak. That was then. That's not now. In that living room with my seven-year-old boy, and I can tell you hundreds of these stories, God spoke through him. Daniel was my angel in that moment. Seven-year-old son. He had no business saying what he said. But God spoke through him and said, Dad, take heart. Now, I don't know what this angel looked like here for Paul, 
But he had an experience with God just like I had experienced with my son. And he said, guess what? There's something else coming. So Daniel's saying to me too, that's okay. This is going to happen and it's going to be all right. An angel appeared and God speaks. God is present. I hope you know this. He is present. In fact, he has promises in his scripture that we rest on. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That I will always be with you until the end of the age. That's what God is saying to us. He never leaves. He's always in all of our struggles. So God appeared to Paul and reminded him of his presence and also reminded Paul of his plan. So no matter how deep and dark your pain goes today, and there are pain, a friend of mine always says, never underestimate the pain in the room. There's dark and and hard pain in here, but I want you to know something. God is always here. He's always present. Many times what we do in pain is we isolate yourself. I would say, please don't do that. That's what I always did in my darkness. In my depression, I would isolate. And God said, no, 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 stay. Because I'll be present in my people. I am present. So back to the story. On the 14th day of this life-threatening storm, the boat started to enter into shallower waters. And the crew wanted to bail and jump ship. Paul stands up and says, no, you can't do that. And you know what they did? They listened to him. Because now all of a sudden it's turned. And Paul is leading as a prisoner this crew. And then this happened. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and he stood amongst them, and he gave thanks to God. In the presence of everyone there, he broke it, and he began to eat. And then they were all encouraged. <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, Jamie, always tells me that God, it, when, he, when he encourages someone, he puts courage in. And so they all, all of a sudden have this courage that's placed in them as, as Paul gives thanks. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship by throwing everything else out, all the grain. Now here's what happens. The ship does wreck. It runs aground, and the waves demolish the ship. But everyone is rescued. They go off and they swim, and they're they're in this tiny little island called Malta. And God pushed them to this tiny little island of Malta. And all survived. And so I want to tell you, it would be great to say, they survived and everything was great. But there's another part to the story that I want to tell you. And then I have an interview that, with someone that I want you to hear. And you know uh, him. He's already led us in worship. But I want you to hear his heart and his storm. Before we do that, we want to receive our offering. And so if you come prepared uh, to give, awesome. Thank you. You know, Amy and I do that every week. Uh, we just have it come out of our check. We do it electronically. I know many of you do that as well. But it is an act of worship for us. It is us saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for having a plan. Thank you for pairing. Thank you for being present. Uh, and so we give because we really believe that's the hope of the world. So if you're, that, if you're that person, thank you for being part of that. If you are brand new and you just showed up after Easter last week, I'm welcome. This does not have to be your moment. If you want to be, take part of it, awesome. But you don't have to. I'd love to meet you out in the lobby. Our team will meet you out in the lobby. Shake your hand and hear your story. So the people of this tiny island welcome Paul and all of these people in. They build a fire 
And then Paul brings some wood and he throws the wood in the fire. And in this wood is a poisonous snake. And it comes up and bites his hand and it's hanging from his hand. Now at this point, could you imagine what Paul's thinking? He's like, are you kidding me, God? I navigated all of this. I listened to this. And now I'm going to die from a venomous snake bite. And all the indigenous people are watching this and they say this. That guy must be a murderer. The sea didn't kill him, but justice is going to kill him now. And they all look back and they're like, let's wait and see how he swells up and dies. And then Paul, it says, he shook off the snake, put it in the fire, and nothing happened to him. In the middle of that moment, all the indigenous people say, well, no, he's not a murderer. He's a god. What did they say? He's like, God is with him. And at that moment, there's a transformation. Now, what could be the possible reason for all of this stuff to happen to Paul? Here's what I would say. God always has a purpose for our storms. He always has a purpose for our storms. Acts 28 says this. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Here's what I want you to know today. God never wastes a hurt. Ever. Your, one author, Dave Gibbons, he says this. He's going to be at the conference. He's an awesome teacher, awesome writer. He says, your pain is your platform. Here's what I mean by that. When I came in my storm 18 years ago into Kensington, I was lost in depression and darkness. I had been hospitalized a few times. I was lost. I was just absolutely, I had beautiful wife, beautiful kids, but personally, I was gone. And I struggled with this darkness for a long time. In that Easter, 18 years ago, there was a healing. Now, here's what I'll say to you. Is all my depression and anxiety gone? Last 18 years. No. Is the extreme form of it gone? Yes. I was healed of that. If you know anything about scripture, people say to God, take this away from me. Paul says that, take this away from me. He says, I don't need to take this away from me because I'm enough for you. Follow me. Now, here's what the beautiful part is. And I don't want to freak you out with this. But if I meet you in the lobby and you're struggling with depression, I see it like this. I can see it in your eyes. Sometimes I'm on stage and I look out and I can see it. Because why? Because I've been there. I know what darkness looks like. And God says, guess what? I'm going to take that pain and I'm going to take your journey and I'm going to place you in the places of darkness. And I'm going to ask you to bring my light. I'm going to ask you to point to another way. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what God does. Your pain becomes your platform. And you can speak in to people's lives and point them to the ultimate answer, which is Jesus Christ. It's so powerful, and that's what's happening to Paul in this moment. Not only was God with Paul in the middle of the storm, not only did God have a plan to prepare Paul for his mission in Rome, but God had a purpose for his pain. God used Paul's painful journey to bring healing to the people of Malta and bring healing to the world. Next week, we're going to talk about Paul and the jailer. And it's one of my favorite stories. And that moment when Paul went to Europe and he met this jailer and released them, the reason that you sit in this seat today 
is directly related to that church in Europe. It was the first church in Europe, and it made its way all the way to here. We can thank Paul for that. Amazing. And so I wanted to, uh, I knew RJ, Helgar, was going to be here today. I've known RJ for a lot of years. And I wanted to just speak to him because I know RJ is in a storm. And I know also that he has shared some of that uh, with this community. And so I want to invite RJ up. I'd like you to give him a, a huge round of applause. And then... Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. Hey, man, look at my eyes. Am I depressed? <laughs> <laughs> no, you've never been. Uh, um, Here's what, I, here's what I know about you. So I met RJ when he was 15 years old, and he was, you were shedding light in a storm of the Schoenbecks. Yeah. Because Paul and Kristen's boy, Andrew, had cancer, and I met you because you wrote a song for Andrew, and you were walking in that, and you came to Troy campus, and you sang that moment, and we showed a video. And even then... I, again, I said this last service. I don't know if you're following Christ then or not. I didn't know you well. But what I did know about you was when I was around you, I could sense the presence of God in your heart mm. and in your eyes. And you had such a compassionate heart. And so uh, I called RJ yesterday. Uh, I said, would you mind if I just brought you up here? So I'm putting you on the spot. You're, you're doing awesome. Uh, but I saw a Facebook post a couple days ago. And it was a really honest Facebook post. And it was really hilarious, which you are. But it was really heartbreaking, too. And I thought, can you just, you're in the storm. You're not coming out of it. You're not heading into it, but you're in it. Yeah. And so I'll respect that. But I just really wanted you to just talk to us a little bit about the storm and then what God's doing. Yeah, this community has been my family through this. So most of you already know an, a bit of my story because we've been talking about it from stage here. Um, and thank you for your love, for always stopping me and, and sending me messages and all the support you guys have given me. Thank you. Um, to bring everybody up to speed, I guess, uh, in August of last year, um, I had been married for nine years. My wife tells me she's had an affair, and in that moment, she would rather pursue that affair than pursue marriage with me and continuing to raise our kids together. And that was a surprise, and it led me on a crazy journey. A month ago, we were officially divorced. I have full custody of my three beautiful kids, and we're experiencing a very new normal than we were expecting to experience, that I was expecting to experience in my life. And um, I just love these bullet points that we were talking about because I've seen God having a plan, having a presence, and having a purpose in all of this. As you've been talking about, that's really struck me. And one of the things I really wanted to share that just kind of was running through my head while I was listening to you talk was the two nights after I was I found out about the affair I I was just absolutely shredded just totally destroyed I spent both those nights just weeping throughout the entire night and crying and holding on to my wife begging her not to leave and and it was chaos at the time hitting some really dark places and I can look back on that now and say oh I was on a journey to the bottom of myself just going to the very bottom of who I was and I've never been there before I've never had a, a crisis in my life to take me that far down and it took me to some scary places um, places like I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a rainbow and sunshine butterflies kind of a person yes, you are. Um, and so to have a moment where 
I can't see a single good thing in the world. Everything around me is darkness. The world is cruel. The world is terrible. People hurt each other so badly. And I had this moment where I just couldn't find hope if I tried with all my might. And that was scary. And then I kept working through that and going down, down, down until I hit the bottom of myself. And I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you've literally felt heartache or you've literally felt scooped out, hollowed out. But I got there. And at the very bottom of myself, the only words that were left after I've said everything I said was Jesus. And I don't know if you have ever wondered if your faith was real, but I've wondered that. And I hit that moment and it was beautiful to me to realize that this really is what I've built my life on. I really do believe in Jesus, and that's all that's left after I scooped everything else out of myself. My therapist said, I hit rock bottom, and I found out that the rock was Jesus. I thought that was such a cool, cool statement. A little cheesy, but it was pretty cool. Uh, it's rainbows. It's rainbows. It brought me back to butterflies. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so. But I really love what you said about being able to be in. Um, the world of people and be able to look at them and be like, oh, I can see, I can identify that you are experiencing something that I've struggled with and I may be able to walk in that with you. And I'm experiencing an incredible new normal in my life and I've learned that I am so not alone in that. There are so many people experiencing crazy life change, whether it's like my situation or something totally different. I just talked to somebody the other day who's fleeing their country. They found out I started a, started a podcast talking to people about experiencing the new normals in their life to try to add some hope into the world and share my story a little bit. Um, and I was, somebody found that, and they shared with me that they're, le- they're fleeing their country because of the political situation, they're not safe and they're leaving. They have to leave some of their family behind. They're going to like start a new life for their family. And he's like, I just identified with your story. I'm like, that's so different from my story, but it's so cool to see that God's already taking my story and and linking people across the world and helping. So I don't know. It's been cool. (laughs) And you can just by what you just shared, I didn't have to ask you another question. You can kind of see even the plan, the presence, and even a little purpose in though you're in the midst of the storm. So I just wanted you to come up and share. I think it's so powerful. And thank you for doing that. I know it's vulnerable, but uh, thank you. Give give RJ a hand. I'm going to pray. Let me pray for you. Father, I... I do pray for RJ. I pray for his kids. I pray for everyone involved, Lord. I pray for your presence. It says in your scripture that when we pray, that you will give us something beyond anything that can we, we can get in this world, which is a peace that surpasses human understanding. You say you give peace, but not as the world gives peace. Supernatural peace. And so I ask for that for RJ as he's navigating this storm. I also ask the Lord that you give him uh, insight and give him courage. Let him take heart and have courage uh, as he leads through this journey. Father, I pray for all of us. No matter what storm we are in, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us courage? Would you let us understand that you are at the bottom of ourselves? That you are the rock that we can rest on? that you are the foundation, that you will never go away, that your promises that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that you will be with us to the end of age, become a reality to our community and to individuals in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. But hey, there's... When RJ said last service, because we didn't really rehearse anything, he said, I had to come to the bottom of myself. I just want to give you a quick thought from the story. Where was the ship... In the story, it was demolished. The vessel that they took confidence in to ride through the storm was gone. 
Many times in the storms of our life, we have to lose the things that we have the comfort in. Our home, our home is falling down. All of these things are happening. The stuff that we put our confidence in many times needs to go away in order for us to rest on the real truth that is going to take us through storms. And that's the person of Christ. Now, I don't know where you're at in your journey on faith. You may not be at the point where you can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to rest on you, but I do want you to hear today that God is saying to you, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I, Christ, have overcome the world. So here's what we'd like to do. We're just going to kind of play some soundscapes for you. And we're going to give you a time to process. We're actually going to give you some storm sounds, actually. And many of you may be in a storm. Some of you may be coming out of one. Some of you just may be in a point where you're just grateful that you're out of it and you're resting. That's okay. But a mentor of mine always says this. Never ask God why, ask him what. Never ask him why, ask him what. And so I'm going to give you time to talk to God. And we're just going to dim the lights. You're going to have this. And then the team is going to sing a powerful song over us and please you can engage with that as well but take this time and ask God what where are you Lord in my storm what do you want me to know what is your plan is there a purpose and just talk to God and let him rest in you
If you know that hymn, you might know the story behind it. Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn, and it came from a trip that his wife and his four daughters went across the Atlantic that he was supposed to be had to stay home in Chicago, and they went on this trip, and there was a tragedy, and the ship went down. He lost his four daughters, and his wife in Europe telegrammed and said, it's just me. So he gets on a ship to meet her. Halfway through, the captain, this is what the story says, the captain grabs and says, this is where the ship went down. He went on the deck and he, he writes, it is well. Isn't that crazy? I wouldn't have written that. But somewhere deep inside, he knew that on the rock of Christ, it is well. Look, we're all going to go through storms. There's no way around it. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus said, take heart, have courage, because in me, when you place your trust in me, you may lose your ship. It may run aground. You may lose the things of this world that will give you confidence, but you won't lose me. That's what this series is about. Let me pray. Lord, please be with us. Lord, ignite our hearts for you. Father, speak strongly into the hearts, especially the ones in this room that have despair in their life. Lord, would you bring in your hope through your son Christ to them right now? Speak. Where you speak, life happens. Where you enter in and your presence is there, there is peace. Father, bring that to this community. Bring it to individuals and collectively as a community. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you. I know it's an intense day, isn't it? but it's, it's important. And uh, so, man, I would love, if you need prayer, uh, if you walk out just in that vestibule between the lobby and the auditorium, we'd love to pray for you there. I'd love to meet you in the lobby and shake your hand. If you need anything else, and come back next week. Uh, sign up for, for the conference coming up. Sign up for baptism next week. And uh, we will see you next weekend as we continue this series. Have a great week.